welcome to Positive Talk with Kevin McDonald. Hey, that's me. Hi, and welcome to Positive Talk. Our show features the best positive stories and people from around the globe as we endeavor to answer the universal question of why am I here and what is my purpose? Understanding that can change everything and knowing your greatness is fundamental to living your best life. So join us right now as together we work to create the adventure of our lifetime. And welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Kevin McDonald, and over there is a young lady by the name of Juliet Rose. She's an author. She's won 41 awards, nearabouts, but the day ain't over yet, for her work in, in the eight books that she's written. And I imagine she's got another book up her sleeve or two, and I'm looking forward to talking to her, Like because like the opening says, we are all great, and you happen to be great at writing, and you have been doing it since you were a um, wee little one, and it's great to have you here. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thank yeah. you so much, Kevin. I'm really enjoying <laughs> chatting with you. It, it, it is it is Juliet, right? It is, <laughs> with the T, <teeth>, Juliet. <laughs> it's not Juliet, it's Juliet. <laughs> exactly, like Romeo and. <laughs> exactly. Well, I I hope there is a Romeo in your life. I think there is, and that's I think that's great. <laughs> yeah. I hope. I think I think he hopes too. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's good to always have hope. It is. <laughs> it is. Well, this is the new year, and you've got lots of things going on. So, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, where you come from, why you write. And maybe even the writing process a little bit. Sure. Uh, my background, I'm originally from New York. Um, I was the youngest of six children and the only girl. So as you can imagine, that presented some challenges. Um, I knew I wanted to write from a very young age. It was just, I, I would originally tell stories and then that evolved into uh, wanting to write stories. And so, you know, even in school, I had a backpack full of manuscripts I carried around with me and just something I knew I really wanted to do. Uh, in my 20s, I veered off a little bit. I actually had a child that was diagnosed with cancer. And so I veered off to doing more nonfiction, um, kind of writing about that experience and trying to help other parents and going through that. And, and so I did that in my 20s. She did pass away when I was when I was in my 20s. Uh, I'm, I did, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah, it, it was definitely tough. And I put writing on hold for a while after that. And then when I when I did pick it up, I was interested in kind of looking at fiction more because I really wanted to maybe create my own endings. <laughs> so um, so so since then, I, I, I dabble in nonfiction still. I'll write for magazines or, you know, newspapers. But for the most part, I focus on fiction now. It is nice to be able to write your own ending and not have it be something that's out of your control. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love that about fiction. And I think even as a reader, the nice thing about fiction is, you know, you can read about an experience that you've had and get a different ending for it. And that's really satisfying. Yeah, it, it, I'm sure. Yes, it would be. Now, what's the process that you use? Is is it I get all kinds of answers to this question because some people say it's intuition. Some people say it's it's darn hard work and I have to sit here and just <laughs> fight for it every day. What's your process like? Yeah, it's not hard for me. Um, once I decided to pick back up writing, 
I had put it down for a little bit, um, just, just to focus on work. I was raising my kids and, and to focus on work. And so when I decided I wanted to start writing again, it really just took opening that aspect of my brain that I kind of closed down and saying, let me just think about something. So the first book I came back to write, which is my book do over. I, I remember I hadn't written for years, like years, we're talking like 10, 10, 15 years. And I was laying in bed one night and I thought, I really want to write again. I miss this. My kids are not grown. So I was like, you know, how did I used to do this? And so I, I literally laid in bed and just let whatever image popped into my head, pop into my head. And it was an image of a woman sitting, looking out at the ocean from her car window. And you could tell she'd been chewing like on the sides of her thumbs, like with anxiety. And from there it just grew. So I think for me, it's just allowing the floodgates to be open and, and things come to me. The littlest thing, a song on the radio, or I'll be walking the dog and I'll see something and that that'll just trigger an idea. So I think I have more ideas in time most times. Now, do you have to do an, like an outline and to flesh out the characters and some people make a real production of it <laughs> to do, to do all of that. Do you have to do all of that or does it just kind of, it's like watching a movie for you? It's a lot like watching a movie for me, and I, I definitely fly by the seat of my pants. So when I start, I'll usually have an idea of a plot and maybe a couple scenes that have formed in my head, um, maybe even characters. But what I find is when I sit down to write, if I allow it to just flow, a lot of that changes from that process. So maybe the initially character is going to be a certain way, or they're going to be the bad guy, or they're going to be the good guy, and then it changes. Because I listen to the story, and I listen to my characters so that the most natural flowing story comes out of me. What does it feel like to be in the flow? <laughs> it's funny. You mentioned my Romeo, my husband. And he said, when you get in that, he's like, you're crazy writer later. He's like, you're so in that zone. He said, you wouldn't notice that the house was on fire. And that's really true. Like if I'm getting in that zone, I'm in that story. I'm transcribing what I'm seeing. I'm no longer where I'm at. I'm there. And so it's amazing for me. And I, I love writing almost more than anything that else that I do. So when I'm in that flow, it's just, it feels good. Like you feel like you're working out things in your brain that are kind of trapped in there. But I say for editing, it's not as fun. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have, are you self-published or do, do you have a publisher? I am self-published now. I had uh, three different contracts from three different publishers and uh, one folded during COVID. One, I signed a contract and he ended up just kind of lacking communication with all of his authors. And we had to get the author's guild involved to break those contracts for breach contract. Uh, and then I was offered another contract. But when I looked over it with a legal friend of mine, um, there were just some weird clauses in there, like future uh, creations would kind of become theirs. Um, and if they didn't want them, I couldn't sell them elsewhere. So that's really when I decided to go indie. Because at that point, I was like, this this just isn't working out for me. Like, there's just, I had three different contracts, three different scenarios, wasted a year uh, through those. And then after that, I decided to go south. I had never heard of that, that in a contract that somebody could put a non-compete with yourself. With yourself. I know. I actually, I don't know if you've heard of Writer Beware, um, but Victoria, who runs that, you know, she's kind of made it her life mission to really flesh out these contracts and these publishers. And I reached out to her because I was like, hey, I was like, I just kind of wanted to ask you a question on this. And I went over and she said, yeah, I wouldn't sign that. <laughs> she's like, I, it's just not something that, you know, that's that's asking more rights than they should have. So 
you know, in the situation they wanted do over, uh, which was my first book. And in do over, I had a minor character that then became a main character in a second book, but it's a standalone. They're not a series. I just felt like he had more of a story. And so they wanted do over. And I said, Oh, by the way, I'm working on the story with this character from, from this book. Um, would you be interested? And they said, well, we definitely want to be the first ones to look at it, but if we don't want it, nobody else can have it. And I was like, no, <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> so that was pretty much, I think for me, that and then having to break the contract for breach contract was just like, okay, if I'm doing this work and I'm, you know, I'm really good at what I do, there is no reason for me to, to kind of be subjected to, to those type of things. Boy, no kidding, because buyer beware. If you don't read the fine print, then you would be obligated to putting away a, a a project that you couldn't sell or or publish anywhere else because they wanted to keep the rights, but they didn't want to publish it. How how is that fair? Is that even legal? I, I don't know. And and that was you know. And when I looked, you know, the problem is I think a lot of publishing small publishing houses have cropped up in the last say ten years. Um, and not all of them have experience in publishing. They just decided that's what they were going to do. And in this particular publisher's situation, when I started researching the company, none of them had a publishing background. They were, had a business background. So I started thinking, now I feel like I'm dealing with somebody that doesn't even know the rules of the road, basically. Um, so yeah, so I think, you know, my advice too, is if, if you have writers out there that are, are looking at publishers if you can't read those contracts and understand those clauses and what it's saying, get somebody legally look over it, you know, just to make sure that you're not getting like roped in to something like that would have been devastating to me to lose that story. Cause it is hands down one of my favorite books that I ever wrote. And if I had lost that right to publish it anywhere, it would have just sat gathering dust. That's that's I'm glad you, glad you had the, uh, the foresight to do that and to yeah. get, and to get some help with it. But there again, it's expensive too. To hire a lawyer and to have them it seems every every time i've hired a lawyer it was just to say hi and shake their hands was like five hundred dollars yeah i will say on on the side of the author's guild if you are a member of the author's guild they do have legal services where you can send them information and they'll look over it for you that's what happened with the other publisher that we had a break for breach of contract i just went to the authors guild and i submitted my information to them and, and they helped me draft a, a letter for termination and kind of follow up with those type of things so i, I want to give a big thumbs up to them and if writers don't know about them it's like 12 dollars a month totally worth joining that that's that is that's a really good thing mm -hmm. so if they don't know about their I, you're the first person that i've ever heard mention that so i imagine there are a bunch of uh, self-published folks who have no earthly idea about that. Uh, how do they get in, in touch with them? Do you know? I think it's just author authorsguild.com. But if you just type in authors guild in the search bar, it'll bring them up and then you can go through their pages and they have a lot of different support things for authors. Like you can get health insurance through them. There's different things. Oh, um, nice. They have uh, community boards, things like that. Um, but yeah, having that legal aspect is, is huge for a writer, especially like that being self-published or, you know, having that ability to reach out to Laura and say, this doesn't feel right to me. Can you take a look and have them go? Yeah, that's not which is what happened with that contract. As soon as I sent it over, they were like, absolutely. He's in breach of contract. We can draft a letter for you. We will mail it to him. We'll email it to him, you know, and they, and they did, they followed through on all their promises and, and I was able to get my rights back for that story. Did you ever hear from him again? 
No, no. He 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 did the thing where he would talk to them and be like, "Oh no, you misunderstand." <laughs> you know, of course. but we didn't misunderstand. <laughs> like, um, but he wouldn't talk to the authors. Like, I mean, I'm part of a group of authors from that publisher who all went through the same thing, and we all got the authors guild involved. And Publishers Weekly did an article on it because it was such a, a sketchy situation. You know, the same thing happens with musicians. You guys work very hard at your craft. You love what you do. You are creators and you're creating great stuff. And then you've got to negotiate this minefield that is legalese and this and, and people are trying to take advantage of you. It, it's hard. It, it is. And I think being somebody, a creative out here now and trying to sell your work, it's very easy to feel demeaned very quickly or to feel like anything you're offered you should take because it could be your only chance. And I, I certainly went through that. Like when I had to, when the first publisher folded and then I got that weird contract with the weird clause. And then the one I had signed started, he quit responding. You know, it was a really hard decision to say, I'm going to cancel this contract. Like I'm going to go away from working with publisher. And I think a lot of people are afraid of that or afraid they're going to blow their only chance. But I have to say, just, just do it. Like you value your work, make people value your work. Don't let them, you know, give you nothing for, for your hard earned. It's your soul. I mean, you're putting that into what you do. And so, yes, it's scary. And I've had writers that have reached out and said, you know, I was offered this contract. I'm not sure. And I'm like, you got to follow your gut. Ultimately, you have to say, if it doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. Which leads me to a question. To become a publisher, do you have to, like, I don't know, pass like a a test or, or can you just say, I'm now a publisher and they, out... they can say I'm a publisher. Let's it's literally, and especially in this day where it's so easy to print on demand, they don't really have to invest anything for the most part. You know, they can say I'm a publisher, I'm an editor, um, and not have any certifications or, or anything to back that up. And then they can pop onto Amazon and they can publish a book and it doesn't cost them anything. The problem is you're not getting editing then, you know, and this is with this editor, the complaints that were coming forward from people that had had books published by him. He wasn't editing the books. They were going out with major errors. I mean, it was to the point where you would do better self-publishing than to go with somebody like that. And because it, they're interested in making money, they're not necessarily, they want you to sign on the dotted line, but they're not interested in doing exactly what they say they're going to do because that's editing is expensive. It is. <laughs> it is. It is, but it is absolutely worth it. I mean, if you're going to put your money into one thing on your book, editing should be the one thing you put your money into because it's the first thing a reader is going to tear apart. Like if you ever read reviews, no matter how good a book is, if there's an error in it, every reader is going to call it out and put it in that review <laughs> that there's an error on page 47. So yeah. <laughs> Now, when the editors that you use and have used in the past, do they kind of give you an idea of like how the story is flowing and maybe that that chapter three doesn't really fit with chapter two? And do they do that kind of stuff? Yeah, it depends on who you're going to and what you're going for. So you can get somebody that's like a kind of a broad spectrum editor that's going to do all of it. Line editing, copy editing, developmental stories. Um, I like to use beta readers first, which are people that just read the story and then give you feedback and as a reader, like how I felt about it. They catch a lot of errors as well. So usually I start with my beta readers. I'll get, you know, I'll go through that first draft a few times. Then I'll send it out to beta readers. 
um, because they're really the most keen, I think, on the story because that's what they do. They're readers. This is, you know, it's almost their job. Like they're just like, this is really important. And they're really quick to say, hey, right here, you said this, but on this page, you said that and it doesn't quite gel. Or what were you trying to say here? I didn't really understand. Um, and you don't always agree with them. Sometimes they'll say something like, oh, I didn't like this part because this, but it really is kind of pivotal to the story. But I really, I love beta readers so much. And then with editors, I tend to go more like, hey, can you catch mistakes? Like that's what I'm going to an editor for is really the mistake aspect of it. Like, did I misspell something? Did I contradict myself? And that happened one time where I had on one page had said something and then the next page made a mistake with the timeline, you know, and, and somebody caught that and said, hey, just so you know, you said this timeline here and this timeline here. And I was like, oh, great catch, you know, so so I think, again, beta readers are phenomenal. I don't think they get enough credit. Um, some are paid, some aren't. Like, I mean, there's some that are just that avid of fans. They're like, I want to read your next book and <laughs> give you like advice. Um, and then sometimes I've paid them to like, you know, where I'm like, hey, I really, especially if I'm dealing maybe with um, uh, different kind of cultural aspects or dealing with sure. disabilities. And I'll purposely find beta readers that have those experiences so they can catch me if I'm just really off. On, on what I'm describing, because there's a lot of research. If you're if you're going to talk about, as an example, somebody that is disabled, mm -hmm. you're going to have to do some research on that particular disability and how they function and all that kind of good stuff. You really do, and and I've been frustrated. My my husband actually has cerebral palsy, and so there's like a lot of frustration in Hollywood where you see them present a disabled character that either isn't disabled and it's somebody acting to be disabled, or they are disabled. And, but they put them into a trope like type of thing where they don't really have depth as a character. It's really, they are their disability. And it's really important for me to not do that. Like when I'm writing, I wanna make sure that I'm showing the person as a person first that is dealing with their disability versus the person being their disability. I think that's, I think that's awesome. I did wanna mention a couple things for you is that uh, you, you lost a child in your twenties. Your husband is, is you you seem like a very put together happy person <laughs> even though you had challenges in your life how do you get through it I, you know i used to say this after my daughter died people say I, I wouldn't be able to do it and i said what choice do i have like the sun's gonna rise i gotta wake up you know and the time i had other children i have to get up i have to take care of my children um you know the the happiness or the aspect of me that tries to stay positive is because everybody's dealing with things. I'm not the only one. So like for me to sit there and be bitter and say, well, I've been through this and you know, all of you haven't, everybody has some burden that they carry. And so I think it's better for us to try to connect and, and find those positive aspects than to kind of sit on our pity pot. It's a, I think it's really important because you've got a long life to live. And if you live your long life, in a in having a pity party uh the whole time then you're not going to achieve everything that you could in this life and you're not going to enjoy it i mean no. i promise you the minutes of feeling sorry for yourself go a lot slower than the moments that you find joy in the simple things you know it's it's amazing because one of the things that's been rattling around in my head is there are there are a percentage of people out there who for whatever reason live in the world that i call the world of hate division and fear and they tend to live in that world and they embrace that but it can't be satisfying 
It can't be feeling good about yourself and caring for other people and uh, and caring for your family and taking care of folks. But some people just continue to do that. And I, I really don't understand why. Yeah, I don't either. And and the reality is this, you know, we we have a choice. Every day that we wake up, we do have this choice. And I think for some people, they're so external. You know, everything that they live is very external. They're not, they're not looking in more. They're not trying to feed their soul. They're really kind of trying to get validation externally. And so unfortunately, there are, you know, things at play that want you to be angry, that want you to be divided because it suits their needs. So like it's it's easy to get sucked into that. I think making that conscious effort when you wake up in the morning to say, what's good about today is really important. And sometimes I mean, like I said, I, I just told you I got laid off from my job last week. There are mornings you wake up and you don't feel like there's a whole lot good about that day, but, but you find it. Maybe it's just that you're getting up and having a nice cup of coffee with your dog or there's fog in the trees and it's really pretty. You just find something positive to focus on because eventually that will help you move on to the other positive things in your life. And I firmly believe that that we we do not get to have the 50,000 foot view. And what I call the 50,000 foot view is that the scope of our life, if you were way up high in, in a helicopter, you could see where we've been, where we're going and where we're going to end up. But we don't get the view of that because it's important for us to live day by day, moment by moment. And to understand that, and I've, I'm firmly believe that, okay, you got laid off at Christmas time. But you're going to have a much better job. The right thing's going to come along, and it's going to suit you, and it's going to be, it's it's going to be better for you. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And actually, my cousin, when I let people know what had happened, and I had mentioned in in because I made a post and said, hey, you know, I found out I got laid off my job, and I mentioned in that post that I'd really been unhappy with the job for the last six months. And she said, I know it's hard. She said, but the fact that you were unhappy for the last six months, the universe knows what it's doing. Like you're meant to move on to something else. Because if it was up to me, I'd just stay miserable <laughs> the whole time. You know, so making that change, you know, and that that actually really helped me kind of look at it and think, you know she's right. Like it's kind of one of those things where I was pretty miserable going to work every day. I needed that shove off the cliff. <laughs> Hopefully it ends up okay, but I did need that shove off the cliff. Well, uh, Juliet, I can guarantee you it's going to be fine. I appreciate um, that. <laughs> I hope so. Well, because I have been, I, in my manager, in my career, I've been a manager and I have been, a cliff pusher offer oh, no. <laughs> from, from time to time. And I had three different people who I ended up, I let them go uh, for performance or whatever. And uh, I saw them later, like at a convenience store or a restaurant. And they said, I just wanted to tell you, I am so grateful that you did that because I hated that job, yep. but I could not see, I had responsibilities and I had the mortgage and I had the, you know, and, but I hated going to work every day. And I said, well, you know what it showed. And mm -hmm. uh, so therefore you're better off. And he said, yeah, I, I love what I'm doing now. So yeah. I, but I wouldn't have done that had you not shoved me off the cliff. So thank you. And that made me feel better. 
Exactly. And and I was a manager when I got laid off. I'm a manager as well. And I've definitely had to, unfortunately, do the same thing. And it's it's never easy as a manager to make that decision. And, you know, like ultimately, I just remind myself that in five years from now, it's not going to matter. So you just got to kind of like that. Would you say that 50 foot view or whatever? 50,000 foot view. 50,000 yeah. foot view. You have to just say to yourself, right now, all I'm seeing is today and it's stressing me out because I got bills to pay. I'm not seeing what's coming down the pipeline for me, uh, but I have yes. to trust that it's coming down the pipeline for me. And I think that's really the pivotal thing to really moving forward is to, to trust. Trust is tough sometimes, but to trust that your path is what it is. You just said my favorite word, <laughs> and that is trust. Trust and know that you are A, you're a very good person. B, you're very smart. C, you're going to, the universe is going to take care of you. And what the universe has planned for you, you don't know yet. And sometimes you'll never, you don't find out until it's like, oh yeah, that's what that was about. And, but it will, they will take care of you. And so you'll be fine. Yeah. And you know, you were talking about, again, that 50,000 foot view. And when my daughter died and I was 28, at that time, I didn't want to live. Like it was just that I can't get through every day. And I would think about myself at this age now, and I think there's no way I'm going to make it that far. Like, how am I going to live this many years? Um, I, but you know, I'm really glad that I just kept getting through every day because, again, I, I got this opportunity to start writing again and telling stories and trying to use my voice to help other people. And and so, like, I'm grateful, not through what I went through, but that I stuck through it. You just said another one of my favorite words, which is grateful. Having gratitude for who you are and what you've accomplished. And by the way, you're doing some great work because somebody's going to pick up your book and it's going to change their life. And that's what I hope. I mean, I get asked a lot of times in interviews, what do you want a reader to get from your book? And honestly, I want them to feel heard when they when they read my books. Yeah. Now, what is there a common theme from throughout all of your books or are they the ones that just pop into your head and that's what happens. So each of my books, like I write, I'm cross genre, so I write anything from say contemporary fiction all the way to horror, but I'm really character based. So basically when you read any of my stories, my characters are gonna come into those stories with telling their story, who they are, what they've been through, how they're, how they're dealing. And I did that because that's what helped me. Like even after my daughter died, and my mother actually died when I was 11, too. So I went through that and was kind of shifted around to different houses. But talking to people who had been through things and had survived was really important. Like hearing other people's stories helped me survive my story. And so what I wanted to do as a writer was create stories that would help people survive their story. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Did you... Was that a process of when you thought about that or did it just pop into your head that that's the style and the the uh, desire that you wanted to put forth when you were writing? You know, it's just me. I, I mean, you can probably tell from talking to me, I wear my heart on my sleeve. You know, if I see somebody, I'm, I'm you know, if I see somebody crying, I immediately get teared up. You know, like if I see somebody struggling, I want to help them. And so it's just kind of my personality wrapped into into those characters. Um, I didn't have to really say consciously, I'm going to do this as much as it's just how I write because it's who I am. 
How do you think you got to be who you are? I mean, I'm not going to deny it. Suffering is a huge part of it. I, I was always a really sensitive kid, like say before all of this happened. I, I was kind of the kid that, you know, like I remember being probably like nine years old and the kids were like squashing ants and I was getting really upset and pushing them away. And like that was me. I was this kid that just constantly felt overly uh, empathetic about everything I saw. Um, and then going through that suffering, I think matured that. So instead of just kind of being reactionary and feeling those things, I was able to take those feelings through my experiences and say, other people are going through things the way the reason somebody's angry might be because they're really sad, you know, like and being able to start to look deeper into into people and their reactions. And then, of course, into my stories, doing the same thing with the character, like a character might be really angry. But why is he really angry? You know, like in Trigger Point, one of the main characters is deaf and he's a dog handler for search and rescue. He's really angry, he has anger issues, but it gets into the fact that growing up, he felt really isolated because he was the only deaf child, you know, around. And so he carried a lot of anger into his adulthood. And so I want to address that a lot because I feel like we tend to look at each other very surfacely and say, okay, this person, he's just got an attitude or he's a narcissist or, you know, she's overly emotional. And we forget to say, why are they where they are? And what can I do to make them feel more accepted um, and more understood? And so that's really been my goal. Seeing that, but that is a very mature attitude to take. And when you were 28 or when you were 11 and or or now because there are a lot of people who go through their entire lives and and they think about the things that have happened to them and they take a victim approach to it rather than i've i've gone through these things so now i can be of help and of service to mankind because there are other people who are going through or will go through these things and i can write about it and i can make a difference Sure. And, and there are people that go through things and they do become bitter or angry. And sometimes they also just need someone to sit down with and, and let them let it out, you know, like, because maybe they weren't raised in a way that they were taught to validate their own feelings, you know, or given tools to get through crisis. And so I think most people aren't nasty. I think most people are really just coming from a place of not feeling accepted or feeling lost or, you know, their own emotions that they don't know what to do with. And a lot of, and a lot of times it has to do with fear. They're fearful yes. of, of the other. They're fearful of <sighs> things they don't understand. Uh, they're fearful of why, why is it the way it is? And so they create a conspiracy theory about the, the, yeah. the dark uh, demons and that are in the government and they're making my life miserable because, because it, at least I think they're rationalizing how they're feeling but they're not fixing how they're feeling or getting exactly. through it. So they end up feeling that way for their entire life. And to I me, that's so. a waste. And I think a lot of people, it's easier to blame somebody else than to go inward and work on yourself. <laughs> it's it's a lot easier not to blame yourself. It's like, I didn't do it. These, Your these problem. <laughs> right. These other people did it to me. Everybody, everything happens to me because these other people did it. Exactly. And, uh, I, I like to say that there was a period of my life when I went through what I call my bad country music song period. <laughs> and, you know, but that happens. It um, does. And, uh, you know, when dad died, my dog died, my my wife left, I lost my house and, you know, all of those things. But that's that's basically what life is all about. 
and coming out the other side and being able to then turn around with a your heart being in a good place so that you can help other people who may be behind you a little bit in their in their circumstance sure you know so congratulations i think that you you're doing some really good thing tell me about how did you get 41 awards uh, 43 um right. <laughs> 43 so it wasn't over yet <laughs> um, so initially when I did decide to go indie publishing and do this myself, one of the things I wanted to do was prove not to other people, but to myself that I should be doing that. And so once I published a couple of books, I started entering them into awards contests really for myself to say, yes, you're a good writer. Yes, you should be doing this. And when I started winning the awards, it also benefited me because readers also knew that validation, especially with indie authors because they're like, I've read some indie books and they aren't any good. Well, you know, that that's fair. And, and I'm not going to tell somebody that they're wrong. But what I'm going to say is give my a chance. I've won these amount of awards, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, I, it's been vetted. Like somebody else has looked at it and said it's not garbage. So give it a chance, you know. <laughs> um, but honestly, that's, that's really where I started. And then, you know, I've continued to enter awards contests because I also really, now it's kind of broader. I want people to understand how amazing a lot of indie books are out there. I, I recently did a convention and as I walked around, the majority of people there were, were indie authors. I was blown away at the quality of books. I mean, mm. I, I think that nobody would know the difference unless you told them. Um, I actually think in a lot of cases, indie books are better because there's not all these kind of rules to like, well, we're trying to make a lot of money. So it's gotta be this mass market kind of idea you're allowed to be a lot more creative and a lot more niche as an indie writer. I find the same thing in media. The type mm -hmm. of media that I do is that if I were to go, I'm told that I have a good voice for it and I could go probably get a job um, in media, but then I am at the control of somebody else and somebody else's vision of what exactly. they want to do. And as an example, I'm loving this conversation that we're having. And if I were in corporate, I, it would be 10 minutes long and it would be, here's your book. How's it end? How to get a hold of you? Okay. And then thank you. See you later. Commercial. You know, and I exactly. don't like, I don't like that. So um, I agree. And same thing with any music. I mean, I, probably my favorite people are indie musicians, like in the sense of like, when I look at, for new music, I almost always end up landing on indie musicians um, for the same reason. Their stuff's unique. They're, you know, being really creative. They're controlling their voice. And that's that's huge. Yeah. And most of them are not using auto-tune. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's <laughs> again, it's some of the corporate ones where they are packaging you and they're creating a persona for you, even if you can't sing all that well and you can't sing live very well, they'll fix that for you. Absolutely. I mean, you see it in, in kind of all creativity. You see it from actors and actresses to musicians where it's like if they're kind of signed on by these bigger companies, corporations, you know, they are whatever they've been told to be. I want to be whatever I'm wanting to be. And I think that's important. You you can't be something what you're not and where they make you do things that you would not do normally or, or whatever. And that's, but that's, I suppose that's in, if you want to make the big bucks, you got to be able to, I don't know, do the big stuff, whatever that is. 
And that that's the flip side is that, you know, you have somebody else foot the bill and, you know, paying the royalties and <laughs> stuff like that. So there is that appeal of that. And I get that as well. And like I said, there's really no right or wrong way. You have to do what you are comfortable with. Um, but, you know, we all die. And at the end of my life, I want to know that what I did is something I believed in. And you know the the interesting thing now you're you're significantly younger than me I think. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I I'll be honest I, I'm 66 years old. <laughs> See, and it, I don't look a day over 65 and a half. I'll be 53 next month. See, you're just a child, and <laughs> and so you've got a long time left, but you don't know when that day is. Um, and so it's important to live your life to its completion every day and do the best that you can. Um, and that, and to my mind, we were talking about hate division and fear earlier to my mind, being kind, being loving, being charitable, having empathy. I think all of those things are very important as you go forward and living your life because I want to be known as the guy that is nice you know it gets me into trouble sometimes but it's nice to be you know because there are i don't know if you know this but there are people who take advantage of nice people i definitely know yeah <laughs> i do you strike me as being the same type of person that i am and and you get taken advantage of you do but you know what at the same point you got to be like that's on them and yep. i'm going to continue still being a nice person that's right. Now, I, I got to ask you, because in your bio, I wouldn't ask other than the fact that it's in your bio, but uh, um, being a vegan, is that because you don't want to kill animals or is there another reason? Yeah. So when I was really young, I mean, if you didn't want to kill ants, I can understand why you don't <laughs> right. want to kill a cow. When, when I was really young, I actually went on like a school field trip to a grocery store and they took us into the back of the, like where the butcher is. And I remember seeing the word calf written on a box, the calf, like a baby cacao. And I think that was like a really pivotal moment for me because I all of a sudden like put the pieces together and that was a baby <laughs> that was being eaten. And so at that age, I went home and I said to my mother, you know, I want to be vegetarian. And she was supportive. Um, she did pass away when I was 11 and I kind of moved around with different family members. Not everybody was as supportive. So, you know, you do what you got to do to survive. And, um, but when I was an adult, I decided to go back to that because it is, it is really my belief. And if, if I don't have to harm something, I won't. So it's kind of like, you know, I understand there are people in places and they don't have that choice. You know, they don't have a grocery store that they can buy an alternative. That's fine. People have to do what they have to do. There are cultures that have to hunt and that's fine too. I just didn't really want to be part of something that caused suffering if I could help it. <laughs> but the funny, the funniest story that, um, you know, Paul McCartney is a vegetarian. Yeah. And, and he was in Scotland with his wife, Linda, and they were sitting down having dinner and it was leg of lamb. And then they looked outside and there were a bunch of, uh, little sheep and lambs running around the yard. And he said, we're eating one of them. Yep. <laughs> and so they, they decided, I, we just can't do that anymore. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. So, which is, which is great. Um, Sammy, wait, 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 what do you, <laughs> I do not know who that is. So I'm, we're just not going to, Sammy, I don't know who you are, so I'm not going to put you up there. So anyway, what is this dream? This is a, uh, anyway, so, but it's, it's great to talk to you. Let's go. <laughs> no 
he's a music he's a music official he says so uh, but anyway uh, let's go let's go through your books and and how can they get them um I, and w- would you like them to buy them from your website that would be nice yeah, so they have a few options. I have my website, which is authorjulietrose.com, and I have links to all of my books there, so you can get them on Barnes Noble, Amazon, whatever I have linked there. You can also go directly through me. My my email is listed there as well, because um, I always keep a stock myself that I can sign. So if they wanted something signed, they could go directly through me. And I recommend that because you make a little bit more money that way. And it's more personal. I get to put little goodies in the package and everything too. So, oh yeah! yeah. <laughs> and, and by the way, a signed copy would be would be something of value. I would think. I, I would think so too. Eventually, you know, when I'm big and people are like, "Oh yeah, I got her book back when she was nobody." <laughs> <laughs> you are not nobody. <laughs> I know. You, you you so get that get that thought out of your head. <laughs> You're very, you're very important. By the way, we're talking with Juliet Rose. And they can go to JulietRose.com, correct? Yeah, AuthorJulietRose.com author is, yep, is my website. And that has links to everything. It has my social media links. It has book links. It has little information about me. Some of my musings. Sometimes I'll throw up something there I'm just wanting to write. Yeah, so it's a great way to kind of connect with me initially. Well, let's see. Now, Sammy says he's also a writer. But I'm taking a chance here. Um he says, I'm also a writer, and so I joined this for some advice because I'm writing a book that has 50761. Uh, I have no, what does that mean? Do you know? No idea. <laughs> um, so 5076. Sorry, Sam, I don't, I don't know what, what it, that would be, but uh, uh, the, the advice um oh it's got fifty thousand words so it's it's a big a big book that's actually not bad that's that's really just kind of passing from a novella into novel as far as like word count goes so that's a that's a decent word count size you know really right now your popular books tend to fall under a hundred thousand words so usually between about 70 to a hundred thousand words is is your typical kind of like book you'll see out there um, I tend to stay around that too, you know, anywhere from, I think my lowest was like 75, my highest is like 85. So I tend to stick around that as well. Um, as far as advice, just write it and then have somebody else read it. That's honestly my best advice. Just get it out on paper and then find somebody who's willing to read it. If it's not your family, cause they don't want to have to, you know, you can go to Fiverr and five, find beta readers. You can go to Facebook and join groups that have readers that you can say, Hey, I'm just looking for someone to read through this for me to kind of give me some feedback. Um, but definitely get that feedback, whether it's from other authors or from from readers. Just get that feedback before you put that out into the world. But the most important advice would be just do it. Just do it. Yeah, get it onto paper. So many people talk themselves out of writing because if you get onto any site, there's so many writing rules. Like, don't do this. This is wrong. You should do it this way. No, it's that way. And they contradict themselves. And everybody's got an opinion. And the fact is, it scares a lot of writers off. And the fact is... It doesn't matter. There are really no rules. There are books of every kind out there. So just just write it and then get someone to read it because your reader is your most important person. Now, in your writing, um, do you ever consider the reader when you are writing to make it so more interesting for the reader? Or does your story content just flow in a way and they, it 
you just let it go and then see, see what happens? I think initially it just flows. But when I'm going through, say, that first, so I do like a, just write it like that. Just get it down, mistakes and all. First draft. When I start going through that second draft, I try to go in more as a reader. Like, okay, I'm reading this now as kind of a third party. And there are definitely times, and I don't do major rewrites. It's just not who I am. But there'll definitely be times where I'll stop at a section and go, you know, like, even to me, this doesn't feel quite right. And I'll, I'll note it and I'll think about it. Like, and I'll figure out there's a different way I can approach that subject matter or that situation to make it more flow. So I do consider the reader, but not, not necessarily with that first draft. First draft is like, get that story on paper, just do it because that's what's gonna hold you up the longest is writing it. And then from there, like I said, I, I do that. And then I, like I said, I use beta readers. I think they're gonna be very honest. Um, I've had ones that didn't like certain sections of my book that I changed. And I've had ones that didn't like certain sections of my book that I didn't change. Cause again, I felt it was important to the plotter, the character's development. Um, but I definitely consider the reader because, you know, once I'm doing that final stuff, because that's who I'm selling it to. If I'm making a sandwich at a restaurant, I'm going to think about the person who's going to eat it, <laughs> you know? So why wouldn't I do that with writing? Uh, very good. And, and we're having a conversation with Sammy now. So, um, Yes, I consider the reader and the audience. I tried to throw um, a little something in for everybody. I'm working on a med medieval historical fiction. So I have action for boys and a side love story for the girls. Um, let, me, let me just correct that. You have action for the girls and a side love story for the boys. <laughs> you have it for everybody. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, I love good action. You know, I do love good action in a story. So, um, and there's guys that love good love stories. So it's really good to have that balance to, to make sure within any story that you have layers. It's not just kind of like, it's not like a, sh and I see this sometimes where it's like a short story and they made it into a book when it shouldn't have been. It should have been a short story and they just stretch it out through description um, to really create layers in your characters and, and make your reader invested in what's going to happen. Exactly. And um, I, I remember a medieval book that I, I have and when my son read it, it's called Black Knight. And it was, uh, they made it into a movie. There's a guy by the name of Tony Curtis. Do you remember Tony Curtis? I do. Yep. Oh, good. So you are at least that old. Anyway. I'm at least that old. <laughs> <laughs> but he, it, the, the movie was called Black Shield of Fallworth. And it was uh, in the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, oh, and, and Sammy was, he, he knows who he is too. That's great. Um, but, but, you know, medieval, and it was even written in medieval language. So my son tried and tried, then it took him a while, but then he figured it out and he loved it. So, you know, do, do what you do. And, and, uh, and whoever, now I got to ask you when you're writing and you're about to publish a book, do you look at it? See, do you look at it? Like I did the best I could. This is the best work that I know how to do. I love the work I did. Now I'm going to let the universe or people decide if they want to buy it or not. That is none of my concern. Um, no, I think that, again, I'm, I'm offering something out into the world. If I was just writing for myself, I could stand on my pedestal and say, I like it. I don't care what anybody else thinks. But I'm trying to sell books. <laughs> so... I have to really make sure that I've done right by the story and right by the reader. Um, and that's where I think, like I said, having other eyes on it before you stick it out into the world so that somebody can say, yeah, I just didn't feel this. Like it didn't jive for me or I was confused by it is really important because again, you're not doing this for yourself. You might be writing for yourself, for your soul, 
But if you're marketing it and you're trying to sell books, then you're doing it for the reader. So at that point, you need to switch gears and say, yes, it's my story, but now it's their story. Indeed. And that's maybe that's, maybe that's why I'm not real profitable, is <laughs> that I, I, I need to market myself better, I think. So and in any event, Juliet, thank you for coming on with me today. We've, we've had it. We've had a, 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 a problem getting together. So I'm glad we finally did. Um, me too. Because yeah. you, you had a sick kid, and and then it was football and, yeah. stuff, <laughs> and, and, and stuff. But will you come back and, and uh, share more thoughts? I, I think you're delightful. Absolutely. This has been a great conversation, and I would love to. Good. Because I, I, I really love having great conversations like this. Because as Sammy will attest, he it can help him. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we're here for, right? To help each other. That's all. That's all we got. And (laughs) as a matter of fact, matter of fact, that's what uh, I say at the end of every show is, which is uh, um, be kind to one another because each other's all we've got. And I firmly believe that, that that if we're in, we take care of each other and everything will work out as good as, as good as it can. Oh, and Sammy says, yeah, yo, I'll recommend y'all. He Please must- do. <laughs> and, and Sammy, go to Juliet. AuthorJulietRose.com. <laughs> I need to do that. Um, so AuthorJulietRose.com and uh, buy one of her books and buy all, all of her books, actually. She's got eight. Now, do you have another one that's coming out anytime soon? Yeah, so I have eight novels and a novella currently, and then I have a 10th no- book I'm working on, which should be out the end of next month. So I'm looking at a leap year release, release date. Then you, are, is this a leap year? It is, leap day. Yeah, uh, leap year this year, and then uh, February 29th is leap day. So. Oh, cool. Um, I, I didn't know that. So, well, then that means 24 is going to be a great year. Hopefully. And, knock on wood. Is there wood to knock on? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you'll, need to, you'll need to come back and, and talk to me when it gets close to that book being released. Definitely. Yeah. I'd love to talk about it. And that would be awesome. So I have another show I've got to go do, but I want to thank you very much for being here. And again, go to authorjulietrose.com. That would be, that would be just perfect. And, <laughs> um, so given given that, I want to thank everybody for being here. And uh, I, I one more time, Juliet, authorjulietrose.com. You got it. Yeah, very good. And thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now, if you stay right there, I'll be right back. <laughs> Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. This has been a production of kmmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named kmmedia.pro. For more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other, because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.